glad you uh, joined us, whether you're online or on site. Some of you mentioned a few moments ago, some of you drove a little ways to get here. Thank you. Um, we're not handing out prizes for that, so sorry. Let's <laughs> go. Yeah. Well, sorry. But just a thank you and a, a nodding of appreciation. And, you know, it's good because I'm sure there's somebody signed in online that beat you. So. <laughs> They walked all the way from their bedroom to their kitchen. <laughs> uh, so we've been working our way through Mark's record of Jesus' life, and uh, this month we're looking at uh, his recounting of questions that Jesus asked his disciples. And uh, I just wanted to wanted us to think about this month. What do you think Jesus might ask you? Uh, <laughs> And we're examining four questions that he asked his first followers to find out how they might help us connect with Jesus as we think about, well, maybe he might ask us the same thing. Uh, he asked the same question on two different occasions. The, the first time he asked it to two of his disciples, uh, and then he asked the same exact same question to a blind man uh, just shortly afterwards. Uh, on, on this edge of the city of Jericho. Uh, and the question, what do you want me to do for you? Now think about that for a moment. How would you respond if Jesus just popped up and goes, hey, what do you want me to do for you? Now we're going to look at Mark uh, chapter 10, uh, verses, let's get these verses right, Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 34, um, find out how these conversations fell out, but before we dive in, I'm going to give you the backstory because it's important for us to understand uh, what was going on in the, uh, in the, in the background here. Uh, Mark chapter 9, Jesus had been walking with his, uh, his disciples down the road. They were in Capernaum, uh, his home base, his hometown. After he left Nazareth, when he grew up, he went to Capernaum. Uh, he was in the house with his uh, 12 disciples, his apostles, and he says to them, what were you arguing about on the road? Now, that may sound strange to us, but rabbis often walked ahead while their disciples followed behind several feet behind, and it was so the rabbi could have space. And so, uh, although I'm pretty sure the disciples weren't quiet since they were arguing, uh, but they got quiet when he asked the question, what were you arguing about? They got quiet because they had been arguing about who was the greatest. I'm Peter, I'm bigger than you. Well, I'm James, I'm smarter than you. Well, I'm John, I'm younger than both of you, and frankly, better looking. Well, I'm Judas, I'm the treasurer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
There you go. From 12 of them, all of them, they knew they were better than the rest of them. And so Jesus sets them down and goes, if any one of you wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. And they he brings in a little child. It's amazing. There was always a kid around when Jesus wanted one. Jesus brings this little kid in and says, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. You want to be great? Quit arguing about it. Just serve. That doesn't make any sense to them. Mark chapter 10, a little later, he repeats the last sentence. They've been telling people, don't bother Jesus with children. And Jesus has this time of teaching with them and tells, says, I tell you the truth, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. You can't, the, the only, only person who that came close to having no status at all like a child in society in Jesus' day was a slave. So the bottom line of society was a slave and a child. And Jesus has, by the way, when we most of our English translations say servant, but Jesus said slave. If you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, you need to be a slave to all. And if you want to be in the kingdom, you need to be a child. You've got bottom line, the bottom rung of what everybody thinks is important around here. And then it tells us just shortly before we start this, um, in 1032, they're on their way to Jerusalem and Jesus is going ahead of them and they're kind of amazed and they, uh, he takes them aside, the 12 aside, and begins to tell them what is going to happen to them. What could happen to him? This is the third time. This is going to be on the test. Whenever the teacher tells you something three times, it will be on the test. This is the third time Jesus tells his disciples, his disciples, this is what's going to happen to me. Look, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man, Jesus, will be handed over to the chief priests and experts in the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him severely, and kill him. Yet after three days, he will rise again. Okay? So, First time he said that, Peter took him to took him to task right away. Said, "Oh no 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 no! Weren't you paying attention in Sabbath day school? That stuff does not happen to the Messiah." To which Jesus replied, "Shut up and get behind me, Satan!" <clears throat> this time tells us in verse thirty-five. Then. James and John, two of the three closest disciples to Jesus, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Just as soon as he gets done saying, they're going to kill me, they're going to spit on me, they're going to treat me all the way. The sons of Zebedee come to him, came to him and said, Teacher, we want to, you to do for us whatever we ask. You are the Messiah, the Son of God, and we want to tell you what to do. 
just want to pause. Have you ever watched something happening and thought to yourself, this is not going to end well? <laughs> Have you ever had the presence of mind in your own life where you started something and all of a sudden you thought to yourself, oh, this is not going to end well. I sure put my foot in it this time. Well, James and John didn't think that at this point, but every time I read this statement, I'm thinking to myself of a few times when I was in that spot uh, where I was thinking, this is not going to end well for me or for somebody else. This is not going to end well. But Jesus says to them, in his love, his patience, and his grace, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, permit one of us to sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your glory. Now, I don't know how Jesus, the look on his face when he says what he's about to say. I don't know if he smiled or if he was a little frustrated because he's just told them what his glory is going to look like. They're going to arrest me. They're going to beat me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to mock me. They're going to kill me. It isn't going to be pretty. And they're going, hey, when you come into your glory, Jesus says to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I experience? And they said to him, we are able. This is not going to end well. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism I experience. But to sit at my right or my, my left is not mine to give. Now, I'm pretty sure, by the way, I know what James and John look like. Really? Well, what good are you? They didn't say it out loud. They wouldn't dare say that out loud, would they? It is for those, Jesus says, it was those places that are for those for whom it has been prepared. And now, when the other ten heard this, they became angry with James and John because they knew good and well that James and John had been stupid. No, that's not why. I read, if you're looking, you're going, that's not in there, Pastor. You're right, it's not in there. I'm going to tell you what I think was in there. They were mad because James and John beat them to the punch. They go, why didn't we think of that? Because these are the same guys who've been arguing over who was the greatest. Oh, by the way, in one of the other Gospels, uh, James and John brought their mom with them and had her ask. You know, when you're... When you, it's always nice to have mom ask special favors for you. Oh, Jesus, I would like you to do something for my boys. They're so precious. They're special. There's some people who think, by the way, that 
James and John were actually Jesus's cousins because their mom was Mary's sister. Maybe. That would have just made it even more interesting, don't you think? <laughs> Let's bring mom to ask cousin Jesus to make, you know, after all, we're family and she's family and No wonder the other temple ticked. So Jesus calls them all together. Thinking, and I'm pretty sure this had to have been going through his mind. Here we go. One more time. Hope you get it this time. You know that those who are recognized as rulers over the Gentiles, of the Gentiles, lord it over them. And those in high positions use authority, use their authority over them. But it is not this way among you. Who Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant or your slave. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man, Jesus saying, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom. They came to Jericho. Great experiment. As Jesus and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many scolded him and to get him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man and said, have courage, get up. He's calling for you. He threw off his cloak, jumped up and came to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, he said, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man replied, Rabbi, let me see again. Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made, has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the road. Now I'm looking at these two events that happened like back to back and I don't think Mark accidentally put them together. I think he did it on purpose. I think they happened on purpose. I think Jesus asked the identical question the same way to two different people the same way. I'm convinced that we have two different ways of responding to Jesus when he asks, what do you want me to do for you? We can respond in ways that will help us to follow Jesus more closely or ones that will make him call us aside for a little bit of correction. A little conversation. So, sermon and sentence is the request Jesus longs to hear, seeks to know it better. That's what he wants from us. When he when he asks us, "What do you want? What do you want from me?" He longs to hear us ask for something that's going to help us know him better. I wonder how many times our requests make Jesus shake his head and just go, you do not know what you're asking for. 
you have no idea what you're asking for. I want to present requests that result in Jesus saying, your faith has healed you. A 13th century English pastor wrote an excellent response to Jesus' uh, question. You may be surprised to find out that it was from the 13th century. Some of you who are about my age will think that it came from a, a, a rock musical, but it actually did not. This was his response. Day by day, dear Lord, three things I pray. To see thee more clearly, to love thee more dearly, to follow thee more nearly, day by day. See thee more clearly, love thee more dearly, follow thee more nearly. And so I started thinking, where, where did Jesus tell us what to ask for? I just began to wonder, now, I have to be honest, I couldn't find, is, sometimes I like to do shortcuts. I started looking in, 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 in all kinds of study helps. And occasionally, this happens, I found out that nobody else apparently has asked that question. At least they haven't published it if they did. Um, so I started looking. And the only thing I, I have been able to find so far is this promise that we read earlier from Luke chapter 11. It's also in Matthew, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, where, where, where Jesus gives this statement, this promise. Uh, if you, uh, who are comparatively speaking evil, I mean, compared to God, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I mean, that's the most specific thing I could find so far. I'm going to keep looking. But that's a great place to start, don't you think? <clears throat> Give me the Holy Spirit. Give me more of the Holy Spirit. In Luke 11, it was shortly after Jesus taught his disciples what we know as the Lord's Prayer. And, and our Heavenly Father is very faithful to give us daily bread and forgiveness and peace and protection and deliverance from evil and so many more blessings. But then Jesus tops it off by saying, how much more will he give us his Holy Spirit? The gift of himself living in us and working in us and through us, his presence nearer than the very breath we breathe. When J.D. Walt wrote this his devotional on these verses, he, he, he concluded with this, these two sentences. So I ask you, have you asked him to give you the Holy Spirit? Today?
had a song going through my head, a chorus of a song going through my head for several weeks now. It goes like this. No, I'm not going to sing it. You're welcome. Uh, the words are, more of you, more of you. I've had all but what I need. Just more of you. Of things I've had my fill. And yet I hunger still. Empty and bare. Lord, hear my prayer for more of you. I'm sure Jesus is not done asking, what do you want me to do for you? And so I invite you to join me in asking Jesus for more of the Holy Spirit's observable, palpable, manifest presence, power, and What else could there be that we would want? But more of him. Let's pray. Dear God, we're asking you for more of your Holy Spirit. Now, not that you have withheld yourself from us. we recognize that even on our best days there are things in us that keep us from fully experiencing your presence. We ask you to help us get rid of those hindrances. Remove those roadblocks. We know that we've asked you for many things many other things. But right now, we're shifting our prayers to seek more of you, more of your holy love, more of your presence, and more of your power in us. More of you working through us. Holy Spirit, we just want you. Nothing else. We, we don't want to describe to you or define to you what that means. We don't want to limit that. We don't want to somehow say this is how it's going to happen. We simply invite you to come. There's nothing else that comes close to meeting our needs like being in your presence and being filled with you and your love. So Holy Spirit, come. Nothing else will do. We just want you. we want to be closer to you, we don't ask simply for us. We ask for the sake of others who need your touch and your grace and your mercy. We ask for those who need to be healed, 
who need to be brought into your family, who need to know by experience, not just that because they've heard the story or been told, no, theoretically, but they because they've been loved through one of your children, they know that you love them unconditionally. We don't fully understand why you choose to engage us in loving people and touching their lives and bringing healing and liberation and change and transformation in that way. We, but you do these miracles, you could do them on your own, but you choose to use us. Why? It would be far more efficient for you to just do it yourself. But thank you for involving us. And because Jesus has promised that you are ready, willing, and able, far more willing than we can ever imagine. Through his words and the promises that he made, we ask for more. God, give us more of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, the sound of our names being spoken by you, inviting us to partner with you in work of some, in someone's life. Is really of greater value to us than our comfort, our security, and our ask you to help our hearts to own that. We, we may know that with our heads, but we ask you to help our hearts to own that. Help us to become convinced that the eternal gain of being used by you to touch another person's life is so much more valuable than anything else that troubles or discourages or distracts us. see you again, Jesus. When we see you, we want to be filled by your spirit again. Come, Holy Spirit, fill your people. Flood our lives until God's river of life flows through us and through our families communities in our world.
just more of you working in and through us. In Jesus' name. for a moment in particular to talk to those of you who are online. If you have not already joined us, join our Champions of Hope Facebook group. We're going to invite you to do that. We really appreciate that. Looking forward to meeting you there. And for all of us, whether we're online or on site, whether we're present at this particular moment or sometime in the future, I hate to use this word because nobody likes it, but I'm going to give you a homework assignment. I've been out of school for so many years, I don't want to do homework. Okay, do something new and different. I just want to encourage you to keep praying for more. More of the Holy Spirit. Just to know him more. To know him, to be filled by Jesus more. And until then, and as you do that, I want to encourage you to stay alert, stand firm in your trust in Jesus. Show courage, be strong. Give it all you've got. Love everyone you meet without stopping. No qualifications, no conditions. There is a huge door of opportunity for good work that's open for us here in our community and even beyond our community. There is also the possibility of some opposition, but that's okay. Jesus, you know us. You are sent. You and I are sent to make the most of this opportunity but you are not alone. You go with Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit to be ambassadors of hope, champions of hope in Jesus' name.